I love so I love all kinds of dick, um, <laughs> but I particularly like That's Man a, in the High Castle. So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And in the damn library this episode, we have uh, Ryan Britt. What's up, guys? Ryan. Yo. Nothing, nothing much. Yeah. How are you? Yeah. These drinks are really great. Uh, thank you. Uh, we'll get to the drink in a second, but Ryan Britt um, is an awesome guest whose book came out last week, uh, Luke Skywalker Can't Read and other geeky truths but he's also written for the new york times and vice and the all and the morning news and a bunch of other places um but yeah welcome to the show thanks for having me on um why don't we start with you know the most american of topics what'd you buy what'd you buy Uh, Ryan, what what did you buy? Um, th- I guess the thing that I bought most recently, other than the one of the books we'll be discussing, would be I bought a vintage, uh, '70s paperback, maybe it was '80s, of the Man in the High Castle by oh. Philip K. Dick. Yeah, because of the TV show. Well, yeah, I have not seen the TV show yet, but I was writing and I was asked to write an article about the book. Um, and so I wanted to reread it and I wanted to read an old, and there's a great used bookstore uh, by my apartment in Bushwick called Human Relations. And, uh, there, it's the same guys that own Book Thug Nation and a friend of mine there, Corey kind of knows the stuff I like and that, yeah, there was a vintage. Do they hold things behind the counter? Like, oh, Ryan should look at this one. He he had kind of alerted me to the existence of the, this paperback of the man in the high castle. And it was like that stuff, um, there are certain authors, Philip K. Dick being one of them, even reprints of those paperbacks are still worth, you know, like 30 bucks. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so they, I think that they, he gave it to me for 18. But yeah, it's like, you know, it's the cover's, you know, very simple. It's just like a castle and then there's like barbed wire. But the barbed wire has like little tiny swastikas in it. You know, because it's like letting you know that like there's going to be future alternate universe um, Nazis in this book. I do wonder um, the um, the actual the intelligence of Amazon's marketing campaign to have to have their name right underneath the, the, the Heiling um, Statue of Liberty. I, I, I have to say, yeah. I think that, that that marketing is terrifyingly bad. <laughs> I was not, it's not how I would do it. Um, I think that it's, it's tricky though. Like all covers of that book are going to be a little bit jarring. Right. Yeah. Um, it, you yeah know. it sure tells you what you're getting into. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I think that the current, the current one that's in print is a trade paperback. That's mm-hmm. just like got the, just the, the title in, and no images, mm. you know, which is that probably the way like I the would safest, have done it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like this little paperback cause it just felt like, and it just like, you know, on the back, it's just like got a quote from, um, I think from Theodore Sturgeon or something like that. And it's just like the best dick ever. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, and, 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 which is accurate. What did you buy Drew? Um, I picked up Rick Moody's newest book, hotels of North America, which I saw you recently wrote, uh, you interviewed, I, I interviewed Rick. Yeah. That book was awesome. Um, I'm excited to read it. I, I Four Fingers to Death is one of the weirder books I think I've ever read, but I loved it. That's my favorite of his. Yeah. Four Fingers of Death. Yeah. This one's really good, though. I read about it, and I was like, oh, I want to read that right now. Yeah. That guy is definitely like, it's you know, it's, it's told a series of hotel reviews yeah. online, and uh, there's one part where he's um the guy is reviewing the parking lot of an ikea as though it were a hotel 
<laughs> and then it's like really early in the book and you're like okay i, I know what i'm in for here <laughs> uh and christopher um i uh i picked up a couple of things i bought my two books for november uh are beetle bone per your uh your sterling recommendation drew um and i'm also i also bought hog father by terry pratchett oh which cool. is so his cool. like christmas book cool because i am ready for christmas When are you not? That's true. Well, I, not. I love Christmas. I love, I love, uh, I always reread Christmas Carol on December 1st. Mm. I begin. It usually takes nice. me like one or two days. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's really funny to me is uh, a Christmas Carol is not the only Charles Dickens short story of like a ghost co- coming and a, teaching a lesson to Dickens someone who loves <laughs> ghosts that are all that are that are lecturing you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, you got you, I, Christopher, you know about my idea for the Christmas Carol sequel. I do, yeah. but I don't mind you pitching it here <laughs> yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm gonna get a chance to do this anywhere else. Um, I did it as a parody article for Electric Literature, but um, yeah, I think that there is a potential to do a kind of steampunk action version of uh, Tiny Tim. <laughs> yeah, um, and so you know the preview, the, the trailer is like you've got like these guys they're like running after another guy in a victorian alleyway they push him up against the wall and they're like mr scrooge wants his money pay up you know and there's like some guy in the corner like who's just got like a newsy cap on and he uh he says leave him alone you know and he's got a crutch right we see that he has a crutch and so then um these you know thugs don't comply so this guy flies into like crouching tiger hidden dragon action and just <laughs> destroys these thugs and then he just says, um, you know, God bless us, everyone. It's <laughs> uh, like, that's his, that's his yippee Kaye motherfucker. Um, and then the trailer go, just goes, um, Tiny Tim, Christmas 2017, suck my dick in. But let's, uh, you know, we have you here, so why don't we actually talk about your book, Luke Skywalker, Can't Read, and Other Geeky Truths. Well, uh, my, my book is exactly like this conversation that we're having. <laughs> <laughs> Unwieldy, <laughs> tangential. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's basically, it's a pop culture essay collection. I believe you're actually our first nonfiction guest on the show so yes but yeah. Catherine Lacey did talk extensively about nonfiction when you <laughs> had her on. Yeah, and that's true which wow. was brilliant um, <laughs> we have a so many damn books scholar <laughs> um but we but yeah it's and you touch on mo I would say most of the current fandoms from uh Star Wars and Star Trek to Doctor Who and Sherlock Sherlock Holmes yeah and uh yeah a little bit of Mar- Marvel but not yeah. really I got a whole essay about superheroes. Yeah. <laughs> it's um there's something that I appreciated at the beginning of the book you say some of these opinions are unpopular. I am a holder of unpopular opinions. Um <laughs> which I can't think of any other community except for like maybe the United States Congress where there are people <laughs> who are like where people get up in arms about just some guy's essay that was written. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering like how how you have have dealt with like being a holder of unpopular opinions other than just being like fuck it i'm gonna write this essay deal with it well i i think that i never um i've never written anything with the intention of trying to make someone angry yeah you know what i mean and i think that or or, or 
trying to fuel my own anger. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that there's a difference between like, I used to use this example when I used to teach at Gotham um, essay and opinion writing is that um, Charlie Jane Anders, who's a brilliant blogger for io9 and a brilliant, um, you know, has a novel coming out. He's mm-hmm. a brilliant fiction writer. She had to review um, the, the second Transformers film mm. for <laughs> io9 and she did this brilliant thing where she just said, you know, Michael Bay has uh, finally made an art film. And so she wrote an extremely oh, negative review. <laughs> it's very famous. I think that she's sick of people talking about it. Um, but it's a very famous review. And she just decided to like t- do a takedown of that film in the most creative way you can imagine. Oh, yeah, it did the opposite for me. It made me like excited to go see well, it. <laughs> well, right, but I, but I think that, so I think that in criticism, you know what I mean? If I ever, I think that something that I, I to, to sort of answer your question in a roundabout way is that I think that being like an angry fanboy is is not a good look. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that for me, in, in, in kind of coming to writing about science fiction and kind of uh, the constellation of things that are connected to it, I guess I just found that I needed... Um, to have a positive angle on it, you know? And so I hope that a lot of these, um, these essays are, are more positive. And sometimes that is unpopular. You know what I mean? To, to, to be like, you know, well, I actually like sky, sky captain in the world of tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel like you, when you're watching something or when you're, when you're reading something, um, do you feel like you are always stuck in thinking of how you're going to write about it? It depends on if I am planning on writing about it. You know what I mean? Right now, like I haven't been formally writing about this season of Doctor Who. Um, instead, um, Spark Life, which is this college blog, has been having me do a, a weekly chat with an 18-year-old uh. Doctor Who fan. <laughs> and that, that has been the most honest, I think, discussion of Doctor Who that I've had in a long time. Um, it depends. You know what I mean? Like I think that like if I go, you know, going to see The Force Awakens it terrifies me. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm terrified. Um, like sometimes it's, uh, it's frustrating to go see a movie that I, that I would want to write about, but then recognize that all the angles are kind of taken. Mm-hmm. Mad Max was a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Like it's like Mad Max Fury Road. Like it's like all the angles were sort of taken as soon as that movie came out. And I was like, well, I more or less agree with the predominant, <laughs> <laughs> with the predominant angles of this. And so then my love of Mad Max was not as great as perhaps it could have been if I just watched it as a fan. Because as a as a as a science fiction critic, I was like, "Oh man, like everybody's got this. I don't have anything new to say." So I guess that maybe it made that watching that movie a little bit less fun um, sometimes. But you know, at other times, I think that it's nice because you can be. I actually find that I like things more. I'm actually more generous with film and television than perhaps. I was before I became somebody who professionally wrote about it. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can give a lot of things breaks, mm-hmm. you know, um, because all, because then the critic brain then can find like, well, none of these things worked, but what about this one thing that did? You know what I mean? And I think that that can be really, really interesting. You know, most of these essays have a real like deep emotional core to them. Like you mentioned the, like being scared in the, um, in the, the corn maze with your girlfriend and like, uh-huh, like yeah. in, and there's a, you know, a guy doing his Dracula impression. And so I was just curious if there, maybe if there's emotional side of things, like what comes first when you're putting together this, like do, do you look for how these have resonated over the course of your life or do you see that something has resonated? 
I think that it would be I see that something has resonated. I think that's a really a really good question, and I think that um, you know, I would like to do an essay about Harry Potter, right? Because I like Harry Potter, but I don't know if I have a lot of emotions, a lot of sentiment mm. about Harry Potter. Like my most sentimental memory about Harry Potter is talking to Marilyn Manson at a Borders I worked at about. <laughs> Harry Potter, <laughs> you know, in like 2002, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but that's my most sentimental memory, but that might not be enough for an essay about Harry Potter. You know what I mean? And so a I damn good anecdote though. Yeah, I've used it that's on stage tweet. many times. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, he was, I'm that, that's a whole story. That's a whole nother story. But, um, yeah, I think that Star Trek, you know, it start the reason that, you know, the, the Star Trek stuff in there and then, um, the doctor who stuff, was very important because it did it did have emotional resonance for me. We've so we a lot of the stuff that you talk about on that we have been talking about is just it's there's a visual element to it. But like you said, I mean, we're talking about books and the title essay very astutely points out that the the universe of the Star Wars films is not a literary one. Right. Any any news, anything is transmitted with pictures. I've been thinking about this having in the space of time since having read that essay and us being here today, like Oxford chose uh, the crying emoji as its yeah. word of the year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. And, and <laughs> I, I'm wondering if you see it. Wow. I like, didn't know that. <laughs> even more with, with our culture and like what do you think we're headed towards a culture like that? Or I think analogously we are. You know what I mean? I think that the, the, the you know the the essay has two purposes. I think the the primary purpose of it is to um, kind of like poke a stick at Star Wars and see if that there's this like lack of literacy and how that actually isn't like a mistake, right. like and how it actually explains their culture quite well. And it doesn't make you dislike Star Wars anymore. It's like Star Wars becomes an accidental cautionary tale <laughs> for like people losing the ability um, to read and write. Then the second purpose of an essay like that is to say, well, what does this mean beyond mm-hmm. that? Right? Like, what else does that mean? And I think that it does mean that there are aspects to that um, in in our own culture where too long didn't read. Right, like somebody like like retweets something that they haven't actually read, and so I think that there's something in the Luke Skywalker can't read thing. The idea that in Star Wars there's just so much information gap, and I was just like, I, obviously, like when the new trailer came out, I thought it was just hilarious that it's just like once again, no one knows anything about anything that's happened two decades ago. Yeah, you know, and I think I'm like because there's not, which if you think about it, everything's so spread out in Star Wars. There's all these star systems that are like far away from each other, and like. In something like Star Trek, um, they just kind of take it for granted that they can like send these messages over long distances. It really makes sense that it would be hard for information to get mm-hmm. around in Star Wars. And so you apply that back on our own culture where we're all connected and we all have all the information if we want it. What, what comes through? There's a massive bias in favor of audiovisual communication. Happens in other science fiction too. I mean, yeah. if, if you had texting in Star Trek, a lot of a lot of problems will be fixed. Like Spock's like in the middle of a space movement, like we, we lost him. It's like well, he could probably not. Maybe that you know you lose a cell phone signal. <laughs> probably still text Spock. Let's uh, let's talk about what we're drinking or what we were drinking tonight, which oh, was uh, my yeah. take on the Pan Galactic Gargle Blaster. 
which is a, a drink of note in um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, if you don't know what that is by name alone. Um, <laughs> and it's supposedly just a shot that uh, will supposed to knock you over the head with a gold brick wrapped in lemons. Is the, uh, <laughs> and so my take on that was uh, uh, two ounces of lemon juice, two ounces of orange juice, um, a shot of whiskey, a shot of peach schnapps, and then shaken uh, and then poured with a splash of blue caracal on top. And it it looks cool as shit. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like we're in a in a in a space station bar. Uh, we're just sort of like laying low. <laughs> <laughs> we're like laying low, waiting for the Imperials to pass. You know. <laughs> <laughs> We read for this episode, uh, you recommended uh, this book, Heir to the Empire, uh-huh. by Timothy Zahn. And why don't you tell us what it's about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so Heir to the Empire was a really big deal um, when it came out in, uh, I believe it's 91. Um, it was published in 91. I probably read it in 91 um, as a kid checking out from the library. So I would in 10. And um, there were not, the only Star Wars novels prior to this new start of Star Wars novels were the Brian Daly um, Han Solo books and um, somebody else wrote some Lando Calrissian books and then there was the Alan Dean Foster um, sequel to Star Wars called (laughs) called Splinter of the Mind's Eye and other than those and the Marvel Comics Star Wars series that ran um, in the 70s and and the 80s um, there hadn't been like an official Star Wars thing that anybody got behind until heir to the empire. It was a big deal. They made a big deal about it. And um, the idea was that here it is five years after return of the Jedi. What is everybody up to in star Wars? And um, these books were huge, huge, hugely influential, um, not only among fans, but among um, people that make star Wars, like George Lucas, Um, (laughs) uh, the, uh, the, 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 home planet of where all the government hangs out. Yeah. Coruscant was invented by Timothy Zahn uh, and then Lucas used in the Phantom Menace. Um, Kashyyyk, the Wookiee home world, yeah. is uh, featured in this book. Um, a lot of elements of the politics of how Star Wars works was created in this book and Timothy Zahn, of course, was like a science fiction writer um, of note before and after, but he is easily most famous for this. And I think that people of a certain generation remember when these books came out and they remember how important they were. So I thought it would be fun for us to just actually like check out how it holds up. Right. Um, in, in, in considering now that it's also, um, it no longer counts. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. So we should say that, um, when, when, uh, Disney bought Marvel, I mean, Lucas not film. Lucasfilm. That's what I mean. They bought everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we were well, talking about Lucasfilm. Um, they, Speaking of the evil galactic empire. <laughs> yeah, it's Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, <laughs> It's no longer Emperor Palpatine that turns around and just goofy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he would be the one. <laughs> it yeah. would be goofy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, they threw out the expanded universe. So all of these novels, all of the things that ha- other than the cartoons and the the movies and the new novels and the, yeah. new, no- the new novels and the new comic series now count um, right which is hilarious yeah <laughs> you're you're kind of against this right you're a little bit i am against people's enthusiasm for it i think that pre-enthusiasm I, before I th- things have happened that's right i think that i think that just saying i think that you should judge 
any book or comic book on its content not whether or not it counts. <laughs> you said something, you know, like in a conversation that we've been having, you said something very interesting to me that was like, who gets to say that these things count or don't count? And like, obviously there's the sense of, of a lot of angles on this because I think that, and I think the most compelling one is that it's interesting that the, um, new film is set 30 something years after return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. And like the, the book we're talking about is set five. Yeah. You know, so it's one of these things where, I think they might be able to have their cake and eat it too, where they might be like, well, these books don't count, so we don't have to be beholden to those events. But because so much time has passed, the only continuity that they're going to directly contradict is the shit that nobody cares about. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like people really care about these books. And I think that people don't care about the, because at a certain point, there were just so many Star Wars books that came out in a given year. In 91, it was this book and then the next one. (laughs) You know? And what's really funny to me is uh, I was looking at, um, the AV Club did a Star Wars week and they covered a bunch right. of different things. And when uh, they did one article, which was just like, I don't know, 15 characters were sad we lost from the expanded universe. Uh-huh. And the first five are all from, were the, from this. From this, yeah. yeah. It's like Talon Card, Grand Enthralled, Mara Jade. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course, yeah. So so this, this book is about, um, I guess like the Empire is broken, but possibly coming back with, a, with this guy... Thrawn. It's about an art critic taking over the universe. <laughs> it's what it's about. It's what it's fucking about, man. And it's about Luke. It's, it's about Luke being extremely stoic, and and it's about it's about Han being a problem solver. Right. <laughs> Luke's MacGyver. Han's a problem solver. Leia's pissed, <laughs> and you've got an art critic who's trying to take over. Did you guys like it? I, I mean, really yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, it. Yeah. Although I'll say this, and Ryan, you and I had both previously read this. Christopher, you had never. This is read my it. first time reading. Yeah. It, yeah, I liked it a little bit less than I did when I read it as a kid. But I think it's because I now know that something new. Like I'm like, uh-huh. oh, right. This is like a. It it doesn't count. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I guess that for me, I was just so because I've, I was so impressed with how. Um, the dialogue was good and it it, it actually was close enough to the characters. And I, I, and I've read a lot of tie in fiction, you know what I mean? And I've read star Trek novels and star Wars novels, but I thought the dialogue, particularly with Han was really good, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And you were just like, well, I'm, so I felt in it. I felt immersed (laughs) again. I I felt like a kid again. (laughs) It was very immersive, but my, my question, this is sort of a, um, this is a reading comprehension question. You go into this with a picture of who everyone is. You actually have, this is one of those rare books where you actually have who Han Solo looks like when he shows up on the page without, without Timothy Zahn having to describe a second of it. Yeah, right. It's just like, and then Han shows up and you're like, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, exactly. So, so in past things, like people say like, oh, I wish I hadn't seen the movie. Like that's not what Harry Potter looks like in my head, you know? Um, and right. I'm curious reverse, if, yeah. I'm curious if you guys, um, have your own Luke Skywalker in your head or is it just Mark Hamill or also, you know, there were for these other characters like Thrawn and, uh, Mara Jade, did you go online? Like I did to, <laughs> to look up pictures of them or did, did the, um, writing suffice? <sighs> go ahead. <laughs> I mean, 
the thing for me was that it it blurs a little bit. Like they, there's no way that Han will ever look anything other than like Harrison Ford. But at the same time, the idea of like, okay, inventing Thrawn out of my own head or like inventing Mara Jade, who I definitely had a crush on as a kid. Same. <laughs> and like making the the picture in my head from the movie, like s- twisting them just a little bit to make them match up mm-hmm. as needed to be like, oh, right. Like if she's this tall, Luke's this tall, even if Mark Hamill is actually this other third tall, mm-hmm. you know? little things but like there were tweaks i think Mm -hmm. it's a great question um i think that like there's a few mara jade is a weird one because you know she's this beautiful red-haired woman who is also an assassin and a kind of a bad guy and then you know as the novels go on um they get married they also got they also got they actually got married in a comic book uh which was called union uh it was written by a guy named michael stackpole and um also wrote the a bunch of Rogue the, Squadron the books. The X-Wing books, yeah. yeah. Those are awesome. And um but yeah, I I guess that like I hadn't thought of it that way. I guess what I was impressed with was how the book didn't seem to be that geeky actually. It didn't tell me like what color everyone's lightsaber was or it didn't bother it, they don't he didn't actually bother with any of those descriptions of like what the ships looked like or anything there was no sort of like geek pornography mm-hmm. with it it seemed really focused on telling a story and making you wonder what was going to happen next that becomes the game changer and i like thrawn because he's like a moriarty he's like a sherlock holmes moriarty mashup because he right. deduces things based on very little little evidence the fucking opening sequence with him yeah where he's like hey moth whatever watch this it's because it does something that you couldn't do in a film it does something that could you could only do in a novel which is have it be about like mysteries and machinations and like plots and counterplots whereas like in a star wars movie if you made everything that sort of like sneaky it wouldn't work yeah it wouldn't but it's so sneaky this book and i think that it makes it into a mystery it's like well shit what what you, what's how's Luke going to get out of this 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 trap now you know and like and when he does decide to sort of I guess nerd out or like explain a world it's because like we've never been to Kashyyyk before which is the Wookiee home planet I didn't like we, realize as a kid that like that that Zahn invented this stuff and so coming to it at a point in time like immediately pre prequels but like also pre Google search yeah that sense of like. He does. He spends the time and invests that little bit more so that he's like, yeah, this is what... And I'm like, oh, great. And then when it shows up, I was like, I read about that in Heir to the Empire. I also love I also love that Calrissian just loves like weird ideas of cities. <laughs> like he's like, I, okay, I love Cloud City first. That didn't really work out. So now, city. I, now I built a city on top of a bunch of AT That walks around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But my, my criticism of this book... And it was something that I only thought of after finishing it. So when I finished reading it, I was like, that was great. I, when I think back on it, though, it doesn't have an emotional resolution. It's definitely, the fir- it's definitely like the sci-fi first book of a trilogy where it's not, a, it's not a, an ending. It's a, uh, we're cutting this book into three. Right. And so I, I don't know. That's my, one, that's my one criticism of it is that it's not, it's, it's not a great novel. It's a great beginning no. to a trilogy. No, there's only a few Star Wars novels that are also good novels. I think there's some good writing in it, though. There is, you know yeah. what I mean. And I and I always say this about these kind of like these commercial books that come out. People are like, "Oh, they're just like for the money." It's like, yeah, but there are some good 
sentences and Zod has nifty tricks yeah. of like having a paragraph end and then having a one sentence paragraph follow it that like reveals something that inverts what you knew about the previous paragraph. It's like an Agatha Christie trick. The only times that I ever thought about the prose, like actually, cause like, like a sci-fi book, you're not supposed to think about the writing, you know, it's just supposed to wash over you as a story. It's supposed to be sort of the writing is supposed to not get in the way of the picture in your mind. That's right. Um, particularly something like this. Yeah. yeah, It's just supposed to be a picture in your head. It's just supposed to be like watching a movie. And so, and I thought that that was great. There was just a moments where that there's a spaceship or something that looks like an umbrella. The word that bothered me in the prose was the word alien. I was very bothered by that because I was like, according to what (laughs) as opposed to what you know what I mean? Like the word alien bothered me because I was just like alien. I don't think that anyone uses the word alien in Star Wars. In that universe, right. It's a translation for us. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. it ends up being... That's right. How do you tell this story from this universe to somebody from our universe? Right. And like, uh, you're going to have to use words like alien. Here's here's the question, though. If you were going to write your Star Wars book, would you want to just go crazy and, and just have a Star Wars universe? Or would you like to take the reins of Han Solo post Force Awakens or something? I think that I would always have wanted to write a Star Wars novel set um, in our world. Um, Like that it was a continuation of like, right. That's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's history. Mm -hmm. That's our history. And so then how do you do a version of our own planet post all of that now? You know, like how would you do, what would our world be like with the force? Yeah. I would want to do that. Oh, wow. I would want to do that. I would want to do like a, you know, I I talk about this in my book a little bit, but I, you know, I like the idea of like, you know, Luke and everybody rolling up on like a dinosaur infested earth. Well, you know, there is a lot of time still between now and the time that the movie comes out. Um, and in that time, 17 days in that time, you could probably read a book and let's recommend a book for someone to read. Uh, why don't we start with drew drew? What do you think people should read in the time between now and when star Wars comes out? This works because if you have other things to do, you can just read little sections of it. Collected Fiction uh, by Lena Crone. She's um, a Finnish author. Um, Jeff Vandermeer's Cheeky Frog is putting out a collection of a bunch of her work. Some of it translated for the first time. It's good old capital W weird fiction. And I've been working my way through it. And it's, it's one of those things, reading in translation, which we've talked about a couple times on this show just reading another culture and the way that they take sci-fi, the way that they take weird, it's, it's fascinating. And she's just a compelling writer. It's different translators too. So you sort of get a little bit of a sense as you read the different translators, what her voice is and then how different people attack it. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's some of the coolest stuff I've ever read. And that I wouldn't have, if I wasn't like tuned into, Oh, this exists. There are cultures who are writing things that I'm unaware of. Right. Mm, sounds really good. Ryan? Ryan. 
Wow. Um, well, I think that if you're trying to read something between now and Star Wars, you should definitely read Luke Skywalker can't read another <laughs> <than the> truth. <laughs> um, but um, I think that um, nice. I would recommend nice. uh, two books. Um, one would be Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, uh, which came out this year. It's the first time the Best American series has done science fiction and fantasy. Uh, the series editor is John Joseph Adams, um, and the uh, editor of this book is Joe Hill. Um, it has uh, some of the best short stories um, I've read for in a long time in it, and um, they're not all things that were published in science fiction journals. Um, there's stuff from The New Yorker, there's stuff from Tin House in there, and it's a really great collection. And then I would also recommend um, this uh, book about Back to the Future called uh, We Don't Need uh, um, um, We Don't Need Roads. Um, Cassine like Gaines. Gaines, yeah. yeah. It's basically a book-length uh, piece of investigative journalism, like looking back on um, the 80s and, uh, I guess, 1990, when Back to the Future 3 came out. Um, just an amazingly swift read and well-researched book that just kind of blew my mind in terms of a book that, like a making-of book, could feel so um, urgent. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're feeling like geeking out on something, you could distract yourself from Star Wars for a while with Back to the Future. <laughs> so I really like that that book. But yeah, both those would be mine. Cool, Christopher. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna recommend. I'm gonna recommend listening to a book again because I do that. Um, I love audiobooks, and this is one of the best audiobooks I've ever listened to. Luke Skywalker can't read. Yeah, Luke Skywalker <laughs> can't read. And I like you, truth. Uh, no, it's uh, it's the. Uh, the reading of Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. Oh, wow. Who reads it? By Dan Stevens. Oh, Cousin Matthew. <laughs> it, it's, it's There's another fandom for you. I've written about, I've written about Downton Abbey being like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's an incredible read of this book. I've never read any Agatha Christie before. This is my first Agatha Christie book. And it's, oh, it's so, 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 so good. Um, it's it's incredible what she does in in seconds. In yeah. I like I love Agatha Christie. I uh, think that yeah. I mean, that's he he read. I read. I listened to him read um, Wolf Hall. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that'd be he, really. He good reads too. the first the first of the Hillary Mantel books. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, well, uh, I On think that that's note. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Ryan Britt. Uh, yeah. Go pick up his book. It's really fun and. Luke also, Skywalker can't read another geeky truths. And it's also kind of, it's something that can definitely fit inside of a stocking. If you're looking for stocking stuffers, um, God, you do love Christmas. I love it so it's much. De- and it's <laughs> December now. So yeah, it's fine. It's fine for me to love Christmas as much. Well, God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so we've got there. <laughs> you, are you sure? Yes. I- that gargle blaster, man. <laughs> <laughs> you have to stop wooing. <laughs> we look up at 